Okay, guys, welcome back to the Labrador Energy Podcast. It's me, Dragos. Hey, how are you? Uh, so I've got another person today uh, ready for the interview with Labrador Energy. Uh, you know, as usually, this person hasn't come through Airbnb like last time. It's actually from my co-working space here at the factory in Berlin. Uh, this show is not sponsored by the factory. <laughs> it's, it's not, actually. <laughs> that'd be well, nice. Though. Yeah, it'd be very nice. Uh, I mean, I, I, actually, I, I might look at that direction to see if we can... Uh, well, anyway, I'm digressing. But uh, guest today is Murphy. Murphy, I don't know much about Murphy. We kind of had a chat uh, before, but uh, would you like to introduce yourself, maybe give a bit more information on, on your background? Yeah, uh, my name is Murphy. I'm originally from the States. Uh, I've been living in Berlin now for a year and a half. Um, before that, I was bouncing around Central and South America. And yeah, I'm basically in the process of figuring it out, is how I would describe it. So okay, so you, you mentioned you are 27. 27. 27 though. Okay, 29 for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's kind of start off with, uh, you, uh, you've mentioned that you're from the U.S., probably. So you give us a bit more info on that. I, I, you've, you already told me it's Texas, but uh, for a lot of people that don't know much about Texas, like, yeah. give us the inside scoop. Right, well, there's a lot of uh, stereotypes people have about Texas. Texas is a big place. It's like about twice the size of Germany. Um, there's like 30 million people who live there, and I come from a tiny village of 700 people. Okay, well, okay, it's a big contrast there, 30 million, 700 people. Right, so it's like very, in the central part of Texas, um, very, like, nature is a big part of people's lives, there's a shit ton of farmers around there, um, and yeah, it was an interesting place to grow up, it's like very much where, like, high school football is a really big deal, mm-hmm. people are super religious, all that kind of stuff, so it's a very big contrast to where I'm living now, for example. Okay, and then basically, you know, seven hundred people. So like, because it must be very small, kind of very small kind of city, right? Yeah, it's like everyone's in your shit. Everyone knows everything. Like, it's very, very invasive. But it's also like there's a good community and stuff like that. But you know, it's got pros and cons to it for sure. Like, what's the near? How far is the nearest city? So basically, I'm assuming you have to travel by car everywhere, right? Everywhere. There's no public transportation, nothing like that. And then so there's other like villages and stuff around it. Let's say. 10, 15 kilometers away, and then the next city that's like a couple hundred thousands, like 30, 40 kilometers away, and then you're like an hour and a half, two hours to Dallas, an hour and a half, two hours to Austin. Uh, right, so it is kind of like... It's in the middle of nowhere, for sure. So, <laughs> so what's, Jesus Christ, like, uh, what, what do you do in the middle of nowhere then? Um, you drink a lot of beer when you're young uh, and do a bunch of dumb shit. Like, you play a bunch of sports. Sports is a really big thing there. We did paintballing, all that kind of stuff. Um, we'd climb cliffs play with snakes, look for arrowheads, bunch of just, it, you can get bored for sure. When you say arrowheads, is it like snakes? No, like, like you know, like the cave people or, or indigenous people that would make arrowheads out of stone and like around these cliffs and around these rivers and creeks around where I come from, there's like a bunch of these. You can just find them like in caves and stuff. Okay, just like left over. Yeah, just left over. So people would like very nerd out into it and kind of like do little collections of them and stuff like that. Can you like sell them out to a museum or an eBay or something? Yeah, for sure. Like people would sell them on eBay. People would try to sell them to museums. Some people just give them to museums, stuff like that. Okay, that's pretty cool. And then you guys have like a lot of trucks. When I think of Texas, I think like, you know, everything's bigger in Texas. A lot of trucks, a lot of guns. Is that the case? For sure. I think I got my first gun when I was like 12. Oh, okay, (laughs) okay. Um, so yeah, like hunting is a really big thing there and like, um, big trucks and a lot of those stereotypes are definitely true. What was your first gun? Um, my first gun was a Ruger 22. Uh, I have no idea what the fuck that is. So it's like, I don't know, it's a gun you would kind of shoot squirrels and stuff like that with and it's like bolt action and, uh, had the scope on it and stuff. I don't know. I think my dad bought it for me because I like made some bet with him and he lost. But right. Did you did you shoot it? Is it recoil? Is how's it? Yeah, there's a little bit of recoil to it, but I mean, it's 
I don't know. I'm a, a decent shot with a shotgun, so like I would do like those type of skeet shooting things where they throw these clay pigeons and they bounce and shoot them and stuff. Okay, that's pretty good. I uh, I can't say I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is there really guns and stuff in Romania? Is that uh, I mean, my my grandpa used to be like a hunter, so he had like a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he obviously you don't like give it to kids, right? I mean, this one time he like every now and then he'd come back and like shoot some rabbits or like some pigeons, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not that, he, and of course it's not, it's like massive, right? Like, like a, it's a big kind of like hunting rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not very easy to get access to. And I, I think, a lot. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, I remember like he gave it to me to shoot some blanks at a pigeon once uh, and fucking almost fucked up my shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like 12 as well, something of sorts. But in that situation, again, I, I'm, I guess it's a bit different in the US. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit different. I don't know. Texas is kind of an anomaly. Ways. Right, like there's the gun thing. It's just a very big part of the culture, but it's also very paradoxical. Like to be a safe gun owner, you're supposed to lock it in a safe. But then if someone breaks into your house, like you gotta say, "Hey, wait a minute, let me go in my safe to get my gun." Yeah, it's like Jim Jeffries kind of stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, cool. And then so you've kind of uh, lived there. You you mentioned before when we were talking that you were homeschooled for a while, right? Yeah. So I was homeschooled as a kid. How's that work? Uh, I don't know. So I had like two teachers. So my mom was my main teacher, and then I had another teacher in Baltimore, Maryland, that I would send stuff to like monthly. Okay, and then like, what did they like? How old were you to like when you went like to official institution? Uh, sixth grade. So I was eleven. Okay, so like, what did they kind of teach you at home? Did you just just like grammar or like? Yeah, I mean everything. Like I remember like, Greek mythology class. I still remember well. I took when I was like in the third grade, and like it's a very it's a very good level of education. Right, and then so basically, how how many hours a day is that? Like three or four. Okay, so three or four, and then you kind of run around and do stuff. Yeah, and I just was even as a little kid, like homeschooled. You don't have a ton of friends and stuff, so mm-hmm. you just like have a bunch of hobbies so like even as a kid like i would read a lot i went through like video game phases like i had a lot of played a bunch of sports had a bunch of time right okay that sounds pretty cool and then you ended up uh kind of uh, going to you mentioned university right mm-hmm. how was that where, where was it again um it was in a town called waco okay. wasn't too far from where i grew up like, right. i don't know like 40 50 kilometers or so but right. it was once i left i never really went back kind okay of but uh, yeah i don't know i was way different in university than i am now it was like the whole went through the whole fraternity thing and like Right, right. Basically, just drank for four years and didn't really study, and okay, went on a bunch of adventures and road tripped around the U.S. and stuff like that. Right, and then uh, I asked you before because you know one thing that we know about like education in the U.S. is that you have to take a loan out, right? Yeah, for sure. So you have to do the whole. Yeah, I had to do all the student loans. It's crazy, you know. You're 18 years old. You don't understand how anything works, and they're like, "Sign this piece of paper," and you're like, "Yeah, I'll figure that out later." So like, yeah, I graduated with like fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt, which is a lot. Um, and luckily I was able a few years after university to pay it all off. Right. Okay. A lot of people, dude, some people they graduate with like $150,000 in debt and they have like a, a teaching degree where they're only going to make like $40,000 a year. Right. So it's like basically you're stuck paying back bills for forever, forever. Yeah. And like, it's just, it's a very fucked system and there's not a lot of good information. You just don't really know what you're doing at that age. Right. I I completely agree. Like it's a big, big, uh, and like for myself, you know, I did like four years of university in the UK. I did law, but then obviously now I've kind of like gone away from that as a career path. And, uh, you know, it's, I, nowadays you can learn most of the stuff online for podcasts and like, you know. Absolutely. All, all these kinds of stuff. And uh, for yourself, like what, you worked in the US for a while to pay it off or like what did you kind of do? Yeah, like I went to, there's this town called Midland, Texas. It's okay. like halfway between El Paso and Dallas. So five hours in each direction. Okay. So it's literally in the... Five depth. hours in each direction. Yeah, okay. it's like... 400, I mean, Texas is huge. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like 400 kilometers in either direction of those cities. But uh, yeah, it was like in the middle of nowhere in the desert. And I like worked in oil and gas and was like in the engineering development program for a couple of years. 
um, and then started my own like small business consulting thing. So I was able to live very cheaply and made a high enough income and was able to pay all that shit off. Right. Okay. So like, uh, actually, I met I met another guy as well that worked in uh, oil and gas in, in Texas. So like, that's pretty big there, right? Yeah, it's huge. It's like the biggest part of the economy. Like, I don't know this region now and where I work. I mean, it produces more oil than like Saudi Arabia, for example. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of oil. So it's like one. It's the biggest oil region in the world right now. Oh, really? Okay. So it's just because of the fracking stuff, or yeah, because of the fracking technology. But it's always been a big oil field. Like they've been pumping millions and millions of barrels of oil out of there every day for like almost a hundred years. Okay, very interesting. And how is that environment like working there? Um, it's very extreme. It's like all the stereotypes you think of Texas is like this type of place. Right. Like there's. It's a pretty small city, like a couple hundred thousand, but there's people there with private jets, there's people riding horses, there's like really rough kind of crass uh, oil field workers, and there's like rich finance people that fly in from New York, and it's kind of like a, it's got a whole lot of different elements to it. Right, right, that's like a lot, that's interesting. Like, did you ever watch that Friday Night Lights TV show ever hear of that? Uh, for which one? Friday, I mean, Saturday Night Live? Or? or Friday Night Lights, it was like... Oh, no, I don't think I've seen it. Okay, well, there was like, I don't know, a movie and stuff about it, and it was about this town. Called right, 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 right. Okay, what's the, what's the series called again? I'll, I'll put it down in the notes. Uh, Friday Night Lights? Friday Night Lights. Yeah, I would say it's it's a somewhat dramatized version, but it's somewhat accurate of like what high school football is like in Texas, which is very right. It's like bigger than anything else. So like, is it like is it like college football, high school football? This is one layer. Yeah, it's one layer below, but it's more popular in a way. Like my tiny village of seven hundred people, for example, mm-hmm. like a thousand people would go to the games. Oh shit! So what? They just come from out? Yeah, it's just like it's a big part of the culture. It's just super. Interesting. Yeah. Like the whole quarterback kind of like. Yeah, or, all that kind of shit. Dream. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you spent a bit of time in the U.S. and then you mentioned you did a bit of a travel. Yeah, let's kind of dig into that. Yes, I was. I went to Uganda a few years after I graduated university, and then was just like, all right. How, how did you? Why did you go to Uganda? Um, it was like through different friends at university. Like my mentor, he was like putting a trip together to go like do like, um, kind of like social entrepreneurship essentially mm-hmm. in in Uganda, and I was like, oh, a cool way to get out of the states, and just like hopped on board and was there for like three weeks. Um, just like got to see bits of that country. And, right. Uh, yeah. After that, I was kind of hooked and wanted to see a whole lot more of the world. Let's let's go back to your mentor. Like, how did the university assign you a mentor? How did you get a mentor? No, I failed his class and had to go and beg for him to pass me, and then we ended up becoming friends afterwards. Oh, okay, I see, I see. Are you guys still in touch, or? Yeah, for sure. Because I feel like the whole. I, I mean, I've heard a couple other podcasts and people talk about like how you should look for mentorship for different professions and they kind of help you guide you and stuff, but I haven't really seen it kind of. That in the, in the wild here, as it were, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you want to talk a bit about the mentorship relationship, how does that work? Or? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Did you go he, ask him, like, hey, man, can you be my mentor? Or does it work? No, I mean, he's just that type of guy. Like, right. he, he, I don't know how many people he's mentored, but a lot. Right, like, right. like, probably 40 or 50 or something. So he's like, like a that. teacher of sorts? Or? Yeah, he was like an accounting professor. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he's done, like, he's worked for Toyota and stuff like that. Now he, like, runs an entrepreneurship innovation lab for right. a university in South Carolina. But... Yeah, like we would meet. Basically, I asked him a lot of stupid questions mm-hmm. and I had no idea what I was doing. Like, how do you get a job? Like, how do you like contact people? Is this stupid what I'm doing? So he was just kind of the person that answered all my dumb questions. Okay, that's pretty nice. I mean, yeah. It's nice to have somebody, you know, care a bit. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was really nice. And like we would go to like a bar and like drink martinis together and stuff. And it was like, it was really, it was a really nice experience to have. Like, I guess I was 20, 20 years old when I met him. Okay. So, I think from that point going forward, I kind of started thinking a bit more, which was nice. Okay, yeah, that's good. You have a bit of a, you know, awakening to the world, right? Yeah, like, 
and realizing that you can, I don't know, like I, I never viewed education as important right. um, and he didn't really either. So we, that was like a big point we kind of flipped on, right. even though he was a professor at a university. Right, still. like the formalized, the institutionalized educational system. Right. Well, and that, you know, education not really being designed for an individual, whether you have good grades or not, has no effect on your career or like you can still have a successful career even if your grades are true. Yeah, especially like in the context of non-traditional careers, you see all these people kind of just building up their own kind of, uh, you know, road ahead. For sure. Uh, and then basically, and then afterwards you said you went to South America, Central South America? Yeah, so I went to Dominican Republic first and mm -hmm. did some work there with a couple of nonprofits and then went to Guatemala. Right, okay. And this was just like, uh, how, how did that come about? Like, you know, you went to Uganda, you were like, you know, I want to see more of the world. And mm -hmm. how, do you, how does one go from, you know, in the U.S. to figure out how to fig make it all the way to South America? Uh, yeah, I just, I, I knew I couldn't be free until I paid off all my debt. Mm -hmm. So I decided, like, I don't know, I followed... There's a guy called Dave Ramsey. I don't know. He's kind of like a, a bit orthodox uh, Christian in a way, but he has like a good, like his view on uh, economics, I think is really, personal economics is mm -hmm. really good. And like just paying off all your debt as quickly as you can. Essentially. Right, right. So I did that and then um, decided that I wanted to be able to work ab abroad while I was, you know, so making money in the US, but living in other countries. Um, so I, it took me about a year to figure out what I could do remotely. Right. And was doing that while I was working full time. Um, and then, yeah, I'd, I'd been to Costa Rica and I'd been to Colombia in these two years of figuring all this stuff out. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, I was having a conversation in a hostel with some guy, I don't even remember his name, and decided, like, yeah, I'll just leave the States for at least a year or so. And okay. A year and a half later, I'm, or two, over two years later, I'm still not back, so. Oh, right, right, So you kind of, like, uh, basically, it was more of a, like, I'm going to go over and see what happens. Yeah, well, I was moving to Buenos Aires, Argentina. I just never made it there. Like, I had a flat figured out there and everything, right. and then just kind of got caught up in Central America. Why did you Why did you move to, why did you want to move to Buenos Aires? Um, no, I wanted to, I'd been to Medellin. Okay. And I, I That's wanted. Colombia, right? This in Colombia. Yeah. And I wanted to learn Spanish. Right. And so it was basically, you could, Lima, Medellin, and Buenos Aires are like three of the biggest cities right, right. in South America. So it was between those. So okay. I just kind of chose it randomly. And then you went, the first one was Dominican Republic, you said? Yeah, Dominican Republic. And then, How long were you there for? Uh, just a couple of weeks. It wasn't that long. Okay. Um, it's an interesting island. I I, I like Central America a whole lot more. Like I loved Guatemala. spent like four months there, so okay. several months in Mexico. And were you working there at the time? Or like what were you doing in these four months? Um, I started like doing a immersive language program okay. where you like stay with a, a local family right, right, right. and then go to school four hours a day. Um, so yeah, that was what I did starting out. How is the, how is the language barrier, the cultural barrier there? Are people uh, like very receptive, a lot of foreigners or? Yeah, well, so it's an interesting place. It's called like Lago Atitlan. Okay. So it's this massive lake in the highlands of Guatemala and it has three volcanoes sitting on it. It's in the middle of a jungle. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it has really big indigenous roots. Like there's 12 languages they speak there. 12 languages, all of them like with the core in Spanish or? Uh, no, some are completely different. They're like Mayan languages. Right, 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 okay. Um, so, and a lot of people speak like a mix of a Mayan language and uh, in Spanish, okay. so it was interesting. Some of the, like, I remember, I walked downstairs one day, and there was they were doing kind of like an exorcism because there's like this weird mix in that part of the world of like Catholicism and like old Mayan religions. And I just like walked downstairs, and they were chanting and screaming. I just walked back upstairs. Okay, well, <laughs> well this, yeah. Like, what, what were they doing? Were this like an actual exorcism, or I don't know. They were just kind of like chanting and yelling and stuff. Um, and it, but it was in one of the Mayan languages, so I right, didn't understand okay, okay. any of it. Well, and my Spanish was so bad when I got there. Right, I'm not. 
well, I couldn't communicate. Yeah, I was yeah. living with these strangers, and for two weeks, I was like, my brain just wasn't learning. Right, but how did you manage to get the accommodation? Was it like a program that I arranged for you? Or? Uh, I just researched a bunch. Okay. And I, I like really looked kind of around what is the best places in the world to learn Spanish. Okay. And in my opinion, this is one of them. How's the Spanish going coming along? Um, it's really good. Like, I, I, I don't know what level I'm at. Probably like a C1 or so. I don't know what that means. But um, <laughs> yeah, enough to order a burrito, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can read Spanish. I can write. I can have conversations, explain myself. Because I have that hostel in Guatemala. So, like, everything. Right, right. So, so to you, you, you invested in a hostel? What happened there? Yeah, it's... Kind of a long story, but the condensed version is like I uh, I met this guy and he needed to do some renovations and stuff, and I, I loved the hostel and, and invested in it. And it's basically like a social entrepreneurship thing. Maybe I'll get paid back from it one day. Right, right. so it's kind of like a, okay, like an upfront type of uh, yeah, like I don't like know, an angel investing thing, kind of, but also just like kind of more investing in a person. Like I really like this guy; right, right, right. he's very involved in the community and stuff. Um, and it's like an eco hostel. Like try to do everything green. And, and this is still with stuff. capital you had from like working in oil and gas. Yeah, exactly. Okay. A way to, to clean my dirty money, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's a good way, man. You gotta, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? Yeah. Okay, and then after Guatemala, what happened? You went to. Uh... Yeah, then after Guatemala, went to Mexico for a couple of months. Okay, uh, where about Mexico? Uh, like all through Oaxaca and Chiapas. Okay, I don't know what that was. Like West Mexico, East Mexico. So it's like if you f- go down the boot, it's like on the uh, Pacific side. Okay, okay. Um, and it's these two states. Like, do you know where Cancun is? Like up in the Yucatan. To some degree, yeah. So it's like west of that. Okay. These two states. Um, and they're amazing. They have jungles, mountains, like really cool towns and villages. Pueblo Mágico is like magic towns. Right. Amazing beaches and. Um, yeah, I love I love Mexico. I were you uh, were you traveling alone or was anybody? Yeah, with alone and like would make friends along the way and travel with people for a week or two weeks. Right, and then or longer and then um, yeah, I would travel by myself a bunch. Right, so well, mix well, of both. How was uh, like how would people kind of react? Was they did you interact with the locals there? Were they like oh, there's another tourist or what? Um, well, approached I, it after a certain amount of time i tried to avoid most of the super touristy areas like mm-hmm. it gets pretty old pretty quick when you're doing a super long trip right, right um so there are some areas like where yeah like locals are like who the hell is this white person um and other places where people are super friendly it just right. kind of depends okay that makes sense uh and after mexico um after mexico i went down and ended up going all the way down through back through guatemala mm-hmm. back into nicaragua um, Costa Rica and then Panama. Right, and just planning it out by yourself. You're like, okay, let's see what else I can hit up. Yeah, just kind of like you show up in a in a in a town or something. You're there for a couple of days. You check out, see what's to do there. You meet some people, hear about some other cool places, and then you kind of keep going. Right, just kind of like you know, word of mouth. Word of mouth, a little bit of research. Right. Um, and yeah, trying always trying to find like the cheapest way to get to the next place and stuff like that. Very good point. I actually wanted to ask you like, how did you travel most? Was it bus, plane, train? Uh, I did a little bit of all of it. Mm-hmm. I walked over borders. I took these things. Walked over borders. Yeah, like there's some because you do a bunch of border crossings and with your visa stuff. Like right. there's some very like loose borders in this part of the world. But you just like walk across, you give someone your passport, and they look at it, and you just keep walking. Oh, okay. And how how, how that sounds like a lot of walking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for some of those, it takes like hours and stuff. Some right. You gotta have like your whole backpack, or how do you how do you even like? Yeah, you, stuff you, you just I, I got rid of everything when I left the states. It didn't really fit in the backpack. So, right, right. Um. Yeah, you just carry gifted. You don't carry much. It's it's nice though. You learn how to live with a whole lot less. Yeah, you don't really need that much stuff now, do you? No, not really. I mean, some shorts, some shirts, right, a couple right. pairs of shoes. 
Well, and especially in this part of the world, the weather's normally pretty good. So right, right, right. You don't need any. Did you have any form of, uh, did you get sick throughout this? Did you have to take mm -hmm. any vaccinations? Um, I'm not a vaccination type of person, so <laughs> I, I, I didn't take any vaccinations or pills, but I got sick a bunch. Like, right. I ended up like being vegan for like a year, right, like right. starting when I was traveling, and that fixed a lot of my health stuff. I, okay. don't, I don't know, but I was, dude, I was sick. I had just like awful diarrhea for like a month. Oh, that's probably just food poisoning. Yeah, but for like a month. Right, okay. Oh, that's food poisoning for a month. Right? Yeah. It sounds like aggressive. Yeah, you know one of those where you just like, you're kind of dehabilitated for like, you can't really do much for like days. What, what was this? Uh, a bunch of different places. Oh, okay. It was like a... Just, it was a reoccurring thing. So you, you could say that, you know, diarrhea was your companion on this trip. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't traveling alone. I had my pal diarrhea. Yeah, he was he was there for me all this time. For at least a month. <laughs> at least a month. We had some, we had some times. Exactly. Okay, cool. And then you, uh, where did you kind of, so you went, let's, let's, let's do the map again. So mm -hmm. you went down from Mexico again, you went through uh, Guatemala, mm -hmm. where else? And then went to like Nicaragua, Okay. Um, and then down into Costa Rica, Okay. and then into Panama, um, and then I went back up. Was it dangerous at any point? Did you have any issues? Did you get robbed? Or, uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, uh, I got into some situations i never really got robbed i was in like one place called el rama in nicaragua it's like on the way there's an autonomous region on the caribbean coast of nicaragua right el rama el rama okay um and then i, I went there and it's just like it's a really poor town and like they don't like travelers stopping through there so like they're pretty aggressive and they like yell at you and like they kind of like not really slap you around, but they get like they're very physically aggressive. And stuff. Right, they like push you around and stuff. Uh, a, a little bit. Um, and then there's also some stuff like I don't know, some border crossings that are pretty dodgy. Like I had to pay some people off at some border crossings right, and stuff right, like right. that. Um, so like small bribes here and there. Yeah, small bribes here and there. Um, but besides that, no. I mean, for the most part, people are pretty friendly. Right. Okay. Um, people are pretty nice. Like there's, I met way more good people than I did bad people. Okay, so, I mean, that's probably the case everywhere, but you know, obviously the, the, the negative stereotypes keep popping up slightly more. For sure. Uh, well, and it's interesting. You can have like, you could have traveled to that same part in the world and you know, your experience would be completely different. Than right, potentially, yeah. So you meet some people, you're like, oh, did you like this town? No, I fucking hated it. This happened, blah, blah, blah. And like, you loved it, for example. Right, okay. And so afterwards, uh, you came to Berlin or what was the, the, the kind of like... Yeah, of so I, I met a girl in Nicaragua mm -hmm. um, and then we ended up traveling Traveling together down to Panama on my second time down. Nicaraguan or? Oh, yeah, she's German. German, gotcha, gotcha. These, these uh, cookie Germans traveling South America, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, yeah, then I went to Peru and she flew back to Germany. And then, like, uh, my best friend from university met me there and his family for Christmas. And then, then after that, I went to, came back to Germany, or came to Germany. Okay. And then you guys, like, together or something? Or was yeah, it... yeah, we're still together. Okay. So. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. There it's... you go. Things are going strong, yeah? Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and how, what, so you came to Berlin, and now you're working here. You said a year and a half, right? Yeah, a year so and a half. So tell me a bit more about, like, adjusting to Berlin, uh, and how's the, how did you kind of find your way here? Oh, God, dude. I, when I first got here, I was just lost. Mm -hmm. I, like, you know, didn't speak any German. I'd never lived in a big city. I'd never really used public transportation. So I was just overwhelmed for like right. a few months. And then I had to figure out, because I came here with no plan. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know, like, I mean, I came here for this girl. I didn't know if like, hey, we'd see each other again and be like, oh, we don't like each other anymore. And like, I, then I'd leave. So I had no idea what was going to happen. So I looked into the visa stuff. Like, all right, I'll try freelancer. That I've done that some, some in the past. That makes the most sense. Um, and then, yeah, I went through the awful visa process. Right. Um, three trips to Ausland Beherder. Took about seven months in total to finally get the visa. Right. Um, and then, yeah, then since then, been like 
uh, working out some different ideas, finding clients, building up a freelance business, mm -hmm. um, got into fiction writing like uh, almost a year ago and stuff. So trying that that creative route. Um, okay, so like you're basically trying to find a balance between like the the, the creative and the, you know the financial the stability exactly. Right. So what's like when when well, let's talk a bit more about like looking for clients and kind of you know doing the freelancer stuff. So when you say freelancer stuff, is it freelance creative writing, freelance? Yeah, a little bit. So I've done like copywriting. Okay. I've done ghost writing. I've done some article creation. Um, I've written like for an app actually called Questo out of Romania. I've done like uh, like a story for them essentially. Okay. Um, so I've done some writing stuff. I've also done some like marketing stuff for a little startup. Um, and yeah, like some branding stuff as well. I've done with some friends. So yeah, just some kind of random, I don't know. I would just call it freelance bullshit. It's like, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's still, you know, the idea of freelancing is always about how do you find the opportunities? How do you network? Where do you get them? You know, all right. that stuff, right? Yeah, it's just kind of like, I don't know. It's basically being having the mindset, all right, you need me to do this. Even if I don't know how to do it, I'll tell you. But I, if I think I can figure it out, then I'll tell you I think I can figure right. it out. So there's a lot of just like self-teaching, essentially. Right, and then how do people kind of... So where do you find the opportunities? Do you go like Upwork or... Do you um, like, I've played around with like Upwork LinkedIn and Fiverr or, and, link, and yeah. LinkedIn. LinkedIn's worked the best for me. Okay. Um, like just messaging random people and meeting for coffee and then, you know, just kind of building a network of people. Right, right, right. Um, and then like the Slack channel through the, the Hipsters Wet Dream, like I definitely have messaged a lot of people on that. In, where is this then? The, the, I don't know, I always call it the factory the Hipsters. Oh, that's what right, I call it, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, so basically for those of you that don't know, the factory is like the co-working space that we use here in Berlin and they have, how many members do they have now? Like, like 3,000 or something? Yeah, about 3,000 members. There's a Slack channel. If you don't know what Slack is, it's basically kind of like a communication platform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and basically you just, it's yeah, you have a bit of community and network. You can kind of post stuff there. Sometimes people reply and that's kind of, I posted like, you know, I'm looking for guests for the podcast there as well. Uh, and that's how uh, me and Murphy had got the chatting. Uh, so, you know, this just facilitates different kind of interactions and I think now the membership for the factory is about 120 euros a month, something? Yeah, 120 for full time and then yeah. like 50, I think, for the nomad thing. Yeah, so basically what that means is like you can use their uh, facilities, internet, coffee. Uh, an example for myself, it works a lot better than just kind of working out at a cafe. Because cafes now, they like frontal your internet. Yeah, for sure. Only, they, they play with your bandwidth, right? Yeah, yeah. And you, you can only use it for like two hours and you have to ask for another code. In order to get another code, you have to buy something. Right. So I was at the cafe uh, when I kind of decided to get the membership. I was like, fuck this. I'm only spending like 10, to 10, 15 euros here. Might as well kind of just get a space. And then you know, get free coffee here. So, hey. Yeah, exactly. Got to fix smart guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's cool. And then basically, uh, do you want to talk a bit more about like the fiction writing? Like how did you get into that? Yeah. Because you, you studied what, marketing, right? Yeah, I studied marketing at university and then did like sales and engineering mm -hmm. program and small business consulting. And I don't know, I just kind of arrived at Berlin and I don't know how I fell into it. I just decided to take one writing course. It was like introduction to creative writing. Was it like what? Did you just found it on like... Uh... Yeah, it's like there's something called the Berlin Writers Workshop. Okay. I just literally Googled like writing classes in Berlin. Okay. Um, and then I took that class and then I kind of just fell in love with it. And then I've taken like three other classes since then. I'm in two different writers groups, one that I've started and one that one of my friends has started. We meet up like every week or every other week mm -hmm. and workshop each other's stuff. So I'm like how, building a portfolio. Of, how many people are there in one of these groups? Um, it depends. Like in one of them, there's six of us. Another one, there's like probably 14 people in the chat and then probably six or seven people show up. Right. So just uh, it's an interesting thing because you basically you're organizing your own communities and bringing people into the, 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 the fray as it were, right? Yeah, in a way. Or just finding people that are in the fray as well and hopping onto them. Right. Okay. So a little okay. bit of both. And then in that situation, does that help you kind of write better? Does it help you get some opportunities or? Deadlines. 
deadlines. I need to have deadlines. Okay. Like especially with something like you know, the fiction writing I'm doing, like it's it's not really monetizable at this point. Mm-hmm. Like it maybe one day it will, but I mean fuck, even if you all the authors I've met in Berlin, right. they all still work, even though they're published authors and right, right. and stuff. Right. So um, yeah, like I just it helps me have deadlines. You get you need people to read your stuff. Um, helps you find errors and it helps you like. I don't know, I kind of have a process, like a, a draft process. Right. Know, the first draft shitty, the second one's less shitty, and so on and so forth. So, so it helps me like get things finished and give deadlines and stuff right. like that. Okay, so setting up deadlines is kind of like a good thing to kind of push you to get stuff done, right? Exactly. I, I've used that as well because for me, it was like, you know, I want to build an hour by the end of, it was like like last year by the end of November, I built one hour of comedy. I was like, okay, what do I do now? What do we do now? It's like, I got to start touring. So I was like, okay, I got till the end of the year to plan out a tour. Mm-hmm. So then I had set that up and, and built it up. Uh, so tell me more about what do you what do you write about like what uh, where does your inspiration come like fictional in terms of, is it like um, sci-fi yeah I, I do a bunch of different kind of genres like I do some sci-fi mm-hmm. some magical realism mm-hmm. I've got like a children's story mm-hmm. and a historical fiction novel I'm working mm-hmm. on but it took me probably another year to finish right um, and yeah so I, I write flash fiction stories and short stories right and then when I you see flash fiction what was that so flash fiction is like a thousand words or less okay um, so it's basically telling a story with a very small word count okay okay um, that's very interesting uh, let's explore that a bit longer yeah because I, I basically you know within, within comedy you also kind of telling stories where you're compressing them into this particular format right right like you're because you, again it's about comedy I like to say it's about communicating as much as possible with as little words as possible mm-hmm uh, so yeah, let's talk a bit more about it because like, I I don't think I've read a lot of short form stories. Yeah, so flash fiction it's just a genre. I'd never heard of it either until I started getting into this writer's right, right. world. Um, but yeah, there's a shit ton of magazines that do it. But it's I don't know. So I use this thing called 750words.com, mm-hmm. um, and I write on it just about every day. And through that, most of my stories come out, or I write particular scenes if it's a longer story. Um, and 750 words, yeah? Yeah, 750 words. Like and, a website? Or? Yeah, it's a website. Um, and it like, the goal of it is to write as quickly as you can and don't be an editor when you write it. It's just to get, get volume of words out. Right, right, right. right. Um, so that's normally, and I don't know, the story's, you know, but it's like you write a bunch too. Like you don't really know where it comes from, it just kind of does. I, I think it's a good point. I mean, uh, one thing I've kind of read a lot, uh, I, you know, I've tried to read a lot of books as well. One thing that I've read, uh, recently was Malcolm Gladwell, Gladwell's Outliers. Yeah, yeah, I've read that. That's and then book. basically he, again, he just kind of analyzes and goes through uh, some of the things, some of the successful people and, and backgrounds, and he talks about how, like, actually, volume is your best friend. Because mm-hmm. if you, the more you create, the higher the chances of something in that, you know, pile of garbage is going to be gold, right? Right. So I think uh, that's what I try to do as well. I try to write every day as much as I can because, you know, like, for example, last month I wrote, like, about 200 jokes. Mm-hmm. Wow, but two hundred—that's a shit. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of them were not that good, right? Or some of them were slightly racist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that happens though. Uh, it's, you have to combine stuff, right? Right. I'm like, you... Okay, well, this is—I'm not going to use this. Yeah, <laughs> can't say that out loud. <laughs> you say it on stage. You're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I try to like—I uh, mean, the thing is, my particular style of comedy tends to be more uh, within comedy. You have this this kind of process called like finding your voice, which I think is probably the same in writing as well, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I, I, I tend to do, I have like a bit more of a affinity for like cute and dark material. Mm-hmm. So I do some jokes where I like, have like a cute component, but then like an animal dies. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I try to stay within that space, but then, you know, obviously the, the, there's the cute, there's two extremes and the contrast makes comedy funnier. So sometimes I write, you know, just, okay, I think, all right, I've met, let's actually, one of the following things, we're going to look at some of my notes here and I tell you what kind of quirky things I've been writing. 
and then you can kind of uh, see what the ideas I've been working on recently as a live kind of thing. Okay, so I have, um, all right, I'm gonna probably edit this small bit out. Yeah. Also, <laughs> pause. Uh, but yeah, so for example, one of the things that I wrote was, uh, you know, I'm getting a lot of ads on Tinder from McDonald's. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the fuck is Tinder telling me to take these girls out to McDonald's? <laughs> like, are you progressive? Are you just trying to get me depressed so I eat more at McDonald's? Mm -hmm. Is this your game plan here? Like, if I take a girl to McDonald's, how do you think that's going to go down? You know, she's going to be like, let's go back to your place. I'm really ready for a Big Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes, I'm, I'm, I want some seconds on this Big Mac. Uh -huh. Anyways, it's kind of like just ripping. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's like, oh, okay, I don't know if I can use this. Right. But because it's just like the point of inspiration is like, all right, I got an ad for McDonald's on Tinder. Right. Supposed to happen? Well, because wouldn't you say like when you're in your creative process, you're basically just panning for seeds. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and then once you find a seed then you can turn it into something and that's what I do with all of this writing things as well it's like you, you find these seeds of an idea and then you're like it takes a long time to flesh it out so, until it's something that so shouldn't. this is how actually so I was playing around with this McDonald's ad joke and that's how I came to the I mean you might have heard so uh, Murphy came to one of my shows on Friday uh, and you basically I did a joke about the shampoo ads mm -hmm. so this actually I think it came from this because uh, initially I was working on this like McDonald's ad joke Mm -hmm. But then you know, it, was kind of, it wasn't really working, and then I was like, mm, okay. I think I was in the shower using shampoo. I was like, oh, what are these shampoo ads? Right. And then see where that goes. Mm -hmm. But again, the seed must have been this McDonald's. Now that yeah. you realize it, right? Right. It's now kind of subconscious. Like, yeah, again, it's kind of like you don't even know where they come from, but as long as you do. Right. You put the work in, then it kind of comes back up. Yeah, things kind of like, again, it's like hindsight is twenty twenty. When you look back, it kind of connects the dots. Right. Uh, so I actually think this is where the joke kind of uh, originated from. Yeah, well, you could definitely riff on that and talk about like, oh, I, no one swiped right on me, so I just went to McDonald's, fuck it, their ads work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, 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 exactly thing of the sorts. Uh, and, you know, just, I have so much garbage here, it's like very funny. I have, look, I just, the, the text I've written here is, Japanese hearts are like little hamsters. Because <laughs> like, uh, you know, I still live in Japan for a while, and basically sometimes, you know, when you ever go to Japanese people and they say something in Japanese, they're like, oh. Right, yeah, yeah. Oh, are, you, are you having a heart attack? It's, yeah. It's happening. How long did you live in Japan? Uh, about three years. About three years. Yeah, so I was there for three years. I was doing recruitment for this, uh, this one of these agencies, and we were doing recruitment for investment banks. Oh, wow. So it was, it was basically a lot of phone calling. Yeah. Just calling up people and saying, like, hey, man, you want to change jobs? Mm -hmm. There's this other company that's looking to give you 10% more. Do you speak Japanese? No, all of it was in English. Really? I think a bit of Japanese, like just colloquial. Right. The guy that, you know, order some beers, ask where the direction is. They said, just say, toilet, what's up, let's go. It's like, where's the toilet and stuff, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but not enough to kind of, and it's, I, it was, I don't know, it was, when I was there, it was about, I was about like 20, 23 when I first got there. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a, a lot of hard work, but then also I felt like you, you kind of, you kind of get stuck in an expat bubble there. Yeah. And you always kind of like, whatever you do, at least the feeling I got is like, whatever you do, you're still going to be a foreigner. Right. Whereas here in, in like Berlin, I feel like, you know, it doesn't really, you don't really, it's, it's quite funny because everybody's like, um, has like a unique story, mm -hmm. but nobody stands out. Do you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. Like I feel like at the metro, I was like, okay, there's nobody like looking at me, or there's no. Right. Everyone kind of blends in. And yeah, like... you can blend in. Yes. Example. Uh, so I was uh, one of the other guys that I did with this podcast uh, was this Icelandic cartoonist who's really famous in Iceland, mm -hmm. and you know, I just bumped to him on the metro, and he was just chilling, right? Mm -hmm. Again, because like nobody knows, right? Nobody knows. Nobody kind of. Right. So I was like, okay, I, I like that thing about Berlin that you can kind of 
you know, for example, when you do the tours, you can go around and be like, oh, you're the comedian, what kind of stuff. But you came here, it's just, you know, nobody really... Right. You can be anonymous. In a yeah, way. exactly. And it's, it's, it's important to have that as well, right? Mm-hmm. I've recently had a couple of people kind of come up and say like, oh, you're that comedian guy. Because I, I do so many shows around here, sometimes people kind of notice. Mm-hmm. But it, for most part, people are like, nice. Right. Yeah, so. is, it, is it weird when people come up to you? Do you, uh, do you know how to handle it, really? It's, no, the, the, the issue is a lot of people come up and say, hey, man, how's it going? And I don't remember them. <laughs> so that's the weirdest part. Sometimes maybe they've said hi after a show, and just right. because there's so many people coming to the show, like the faces, you don't remember them, right? Yeah. Or sometimes they're like, oh, because you know, I usually quite talkative and I talk to after the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're like, hey, how are you? I'm like, oh, sorry, who, who did I meet? I'm right. Like, yeah, I was on each other. And so it's, it's, it's a bit awkward because I'm like, you know, I feel bad that I'm not recognizing them. Mm-hmm. But it's, I guess that's how it kind of goes, right? Yeah, I mean, dude, if you, you see probably 150 different faces a week, at yeah, least, yeah, yeah, yeah. just in comedy yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So there's but no... But it's, it's interesting. It's obviously, it's nowhere near, like, uh, fame or anything, but it's, like, some, you know, rec- recognizability. Yeah, recognizability. Yeah, so I'm, I'm currently, as well, like, thinking, like, how do I go to the next level, right? That's one of the questions that I have. Like, where do you take it from? Because, you know, within, the, within Europe, there's no cohesive... Uh, platform for like any form of uh, scene for English entertainment, right? Because there's so many languages, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm always like, okay, do I have to do more YouTube stuff? You know, doing the podcast to get a bit more. Like the people that actually know me, how can they get more stuff, right? Right. Uh, so again, it's always about the, thinking about what's the next step. And I think is that is that the same case for you as well in terms of like, yeah, uh, you, sure. where you are currently. You know, you, definitely we can assert that you have lavender energy. You know, you <laughs> You once you got the taste of that international life, you know, right? Followed it, but like, what's how do you feel about that? Like, what do you what do you see in the in, in the future, like in, in the next couple of years? Um, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to be a published author at one point. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really cool. Whether or not that happens in a few years or in twenty years, right? It's like something for me. Like, I I know I'm not gonna stop writing, whether mm-hmm. or not I do it freelance or just for myself. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to put basically different portfolios together. Um, and I'm submitting stuff to contests and publications mm-hmm. and agents and stuff like that. So getting a lot of nice rejection letters. That's that's a good that's a good point. That's a good point because, for example, like you know, for comedy, you go on stage and you know you know immediately if the joke is good or bad, right? Right. So I think that's one of the advantages. But then again, you also have to put in effort to get people to listen to your jokes if you're on YouTube. And how do you get an audience, right? Yeah. Like how is that within writing? How do you? Because again, you need to write something to put out to the world. People, you need to get the people to read it. Right. For sure. Your feedback. So it sounds like a bit more of a. Yeah, it's like building an email list, right? That's what mm-hmm. everyone says for right. writing. It's like, all right, if you want to do, if you want to sell books, if you want to have any type of community, like you gotta get people's email lists. Right. So like websites and stuff like that, and then you've got to do like put content out there for people to read and stuff. Like I don't know, I play around on one platform called Steemit. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh, is that the crypto one? Yeah, it's like a blockchain social yeah, yeah, media yeah. one. You get paid for content, right? Yeah, I get paid for content. Right. So I'll I'll start posting some of my fiction stuff on that as well. And um, there's some people that, that like Patreon models and other way people do stuff. But like right. exactly it's like how do you attract an audience? How do you get yeah, people yeah. how there? do you get them into the door? That's very interesting. It's a, I mean I've basically so I'll kind of give you a bit of context what I've done with the podcast is uh you know, usually I get different people to come on board. They mm-hmm. kind of reshare it to their circle. And then the hope is that people kind of stay within the ecosystem after they hear the podcast. But then, uh, you know, I've also started placing your, uh, posting it on Reddit, mm-hmm. different kind of Reddit podcast. I've joined a couple of groups on Facebook for, you know, podcasting. And I've started re, re kind of posting it there and trying, you know, it's, it's a bit of a grind because you have to share. Again, you have to, first you have to create good content, I guess. Right. 
uh, and you know, kind of like talk about something that people care about. Mm -hmm. And I guess even this, like, you know, so if somebody's listening here and they're doing music or something, you know, it's relevant. How do you, you know, we all struggle with it, right? Right. Yeah. Because obviously we're not a Joe Rogan level where you can yeah. kind of, you know, just get people in. But I guess every day, you know, you have to create different things for different people. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think creating content like without an audience in mind, which I think a lot of people kind of struggle with. And right. certainly, well, it's a bit different with comedy because you, you do. You do I have... mean, I try not to, with comedy, I try just to stay away from too, too vulgar stuff, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Because I think, uh, I don't know, I think like it's, it's easy to make people laugh by saying, yeah, and then, you know, I went to McDonald's, I'm big in the burger. Hey, <laughs> what the? Right, you want to be a bit more nuanced. Yeah, Big Mac, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I want to be a slightly more nuanced. I mean, all, they, they also, also kind of work, but then it's not the kind of jokes that... I, I, what I want to do is I want to tell people jokes that, jokes that get retold by people, you know? Mm -hmm. Have that word of mouth virality thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, even those are kind of... Or jokes that people remember, because I think sometimes you go to a comedy show and you don't remember the jokes. Right. So that's also like, okay, why would people remember the jokes? Mm -hmm. so yeah, they have to make them feel in some form of way, right? Right, exactly. So that's also, again, because you, if, you, if you think in the direction like how can I make people feel, then it's not going to come out, right? Right. Then it just comes out weird sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, do you have any tips on uh, reaching audiences based on what the, what the writing groups shares? Or? Um, yeah, I think the most important thing is just to surround yourself like, with people who have the same goals. Mm. Um, and w whether or not those are the same, like, I don't know, like, being surrounded by other writers is the most important thing, at least for me, that I found about writing. Like meeting up with them, like having nerd conversations for hours where you just talk about writing techniques, what you've been reading, stuff like that, and having other people look at your work and give you real feedback, not, hey, man, but I guess this was good. Like be like, dude, this was fucking awful. Yeah, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> this made no sense. Right. Like you changed, like there's three different voices speaking and no one has a name. I was going to say, do you have any writing techniques you want to share? Um, writing techniques, but at 750 words thing is for volume for sure. Right, right. I can't think of anything better than that. Um, reading your stuff out loud, um, to catch any type of errors and having your computer read it out loud. Oh, having your computer reading out loud. Okay. That's an interesting. Yeah. Doing both. Um, I think is really, really important and reading it out loud to other people. Like it just basically like, I don't know, I would say that the, creating a good piece of prose or writings or something like that is just like beating the shit out of it or something until right. it doesn't suck. Right. So like as many drafts as you can do and eventually get sick of looking at it and right. letting things sit. Right. Like I've definitely been taught that by some of my writing friends. Like, okay. hey, like you, you write this, put it in a drawer for three months. Don't look at it. And yeah, yeah like, I do that with jokes all the time. Mm -hmm. you, you house stuff a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you do everything electronically. Do you longhand anything? No, I don't do I don't do that much handwriting because I just I keep losing the pens. To be honest, <laughs> that's that's one of the reasons. But I know I, I do sometimes I do write them. Like if I have like a big show, I do write a lot of material by hand. Mm -hmm. uh, just to kind of remember it better. Huh? Yeah, yeah. When I need to remember, that's when I do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. that helps me remember it better. And I I remember like the way that it's placed on the paper as well, mm -hmm. like the visuals. Right. But that's a very good tip. Like reading. I think you should get computer to read out a lot of jokes. Yeah. What's the deal with potatoes? One potato, two potatoes. <laughs> exactly. Also, I don't know. I carry around like a big yellow notepad everywhere I go. Right. And I just always kind of write stuff down on that. Okay. That's pretty fair. Uh, we're coming in on like uh, 45 minutes. It was pretty fast, right? Yeah, dude. That flew by. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want anything else you want to add like regarding to the Labrador energy? Like what's, what's, again, you want to be a published article going forward? What kind of steps are you taking going into the, the rest of the year? Uh, Any particular goals or deadlines? Yeah, like I'm gonna state publicly. Uh, I 
want to finish the first draft of this like historical fiction novel I'm writing called mm-hmm. like Getting Shanghai, and I think Getting I'm, Shanghai. Yeah, okay. Getting Shanghai. I'm like twenty five thousand words through so far. Twenty five thousand words. Okay. Um. So about double that I think will take to to finish the story. But yeah, so I want to get that done. Um. Get my visa renewed. That'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I can stay in Europe. Um. And yeah, just like keep kind of keep doing what I'm doing. Um. And yeah, hopefully I have a part-time job because man, hunting for freelance clients all the time is exhausting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Like, it's it's basically sales, right? Yeah, it, yeah. that's all it is. And yeah. like, you know, constantly meetings, meeting with people to then wait for two months before you hear back. Right, right, right. So I want something a bit more consistent. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, cool. Then in that sense, like, uh, what can I say? Uh, thanks a lot for having the chat with me. Yeah, dude. I'll let you know when this is out. And uh, till then, you know, keep doing your Labrador energy thing, yeah? Yeah, dude. You too. Th- thanks a lot for being on the podcast. Thanks, man. Hey, this is uh, Dragosh. I wanted to let you know that you can sign up for my mailing list in order to get updates from me at dragoshcomedy.com. Just go there, put your name, your email, and I'll send you updates whenever I'm up to new podcasts, new shows, or in your area. You can also find me on Instagram at Dragosh Comedy or Facebook Dragosh Christian Comedy. Thanks a lot, and uh, catch you guys in the next podcast.